Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. As is typically the case, when a young man is called on a full-time mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they are called for an expected amount of time of two years. And current practice also allows for young women to serve for a period of 18 months. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes individuals serve for less time than was anticipated, but sometimes for a very good reason. The story of Jackson Washburn, who was a previous guest on our show just a few months back before his mission, and now he's a return missionary after being out on his mission for just about eight months in the country of Armenia. Just about five days ago, he came home from his mission and made a post on Facebook, a post that I think is a wonderful summation of not only his mission experience, but some of the attitude that he had in making the decision, the very difficult decision, in coming home early, as some again call it, from their mission. I invited Jackson to come onto the podcast to talk about the difficult decision it was to come home, as well as some of the wonderful opportunities that he had while he was serving. But to start out our interview, I asked him to simply read what he wrote as his status update. I personally find it to be uplifting and a very healthy way to bring closure to his time as a missionary. So here now is our interview, as well as Jackson reading his status update that he posted announcing his return home from his mission. Friends and family, after having served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints these past eight months, I have returned home on an emotional health release. I'm sure this comes as a shock to many of you. It certainly did to me and my family. But after a while of seeking help through church-sponsored therapy and much personal soul-searching, I have made the final decision to end my mission prematurely. Though I certainly didn't see this coming even a month ago, much less when I submitted my mission papers, I am nonetheless wholly and completely grateful to God for the time in which I was able to serve. I am happy, of course, to be reunited with my family and loved ones, but the country and people of Armenia have forever changed my life as well as my heart. I loved my mission, and I don't regret serving in the slightest, even with my recent challenges in mind. I want to deeply thank all those who made my mission possible, whether by their generous financial contributions, by supportive letters and words of encouragement, by care packages, or by previous interactions and associations with me, in the which you taught me valuable lessons that I would come to use in the mission field. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for preparing me and allowing me to have the single most rewarding eight months of my life. I'm a changed man and a more deeply converted disciple of Christ because of my mission experience. I've never felt more challenged than during my mission, but I've never grown so much either. For that, my time serving was truly priceless. Of course, some might be inclined to respond less charitably to my early return. I had naysayers from before the mission from various parts of the internet who would tell me I'd never hack it on a mission for various reasons. For them, my naive choice to serve would be an exercise in futility and a wasted endeavor. I want to say to any who once told me that I wouldn't last a full two years that they were right. My mission wasn't two years. But what difference does that make, really? I accomplished and became everything I wanted to and more during the course of my service. I learned to work harder, love more deeply, and live more selflessly than I ever could have at home. Opportunities have already arisen in my life because of my call to Armenia that I would never have encountered otherwise. I made enduring relationships with those I was so blessed to serve and serve alongside. Most importantly, my testimony of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ has never been stronger. 
I know he lives in a way I never could have imagined prior to my service. I've never before considered and wrestled on such a level with the sacred interplay between human agency and divine inspiration as I have during my mission. My faith was baptized by fire and is stronger, more mature, and deepened because of it. So yes, I am home earlier than expected. But whether one serves for eight months, a year and a half, or two is really missing the mark in qualifying a successful mission. I have developed such a love for the Armenian people and consider it such an honor to have lived, loved, learned, and served among them. In the end, it was they who made the greater impact on my life rather than the other way around. If I had the chance to go back in time to see myself as I was submitting my papers, knowing full well that I would be going home early, I would still make the conscious decision to serve just to experience all that I have. Because of that, the way I served and lived on my mission, as well as all the immense blessings which have entered my life because of it, I consider it a mission well accomplished. This is a new chapter in my life, but God is with me now just as much as over the last eight months and throughout the course of my life. This is not an easy choice to make, but I am confident that it is the right one. I have no regrets, nor do I feel as if this all constitutes a personal failure. I have found solace this past week in the comforting words of the Book of Mormon, found in Alma 26, 11-12, which reads, I do not boast in my own strength, nor my own wisdom, but behold, my joy is full, yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing, as to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, for in his strength I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. I did indeed witness miracles on my mission, but more than anything, let this be the testimony last of all that I give as a missionary, that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, and that all of us are children of loving heavenly parents. All are alike unto God, and none are excluded from the plan of happiness provided to us. Families will be together forever, and heaven cannot be experienced in solitude. God speaks to us still, and it is in the losing of our lives on the behalf of others that we can truly find what it means to live our own. For a young missionary in a foreign land, these were the truths that really mattered, and I'll never be the same because of it. Yesirimem kez hayastan, kitasnem kez noritz vorvhetev im sirta kone, hima yev untmisht. With love, Jackson. Thank you for reading that. So do we get a translation of the yeah. Armenian there? Yeah, you'll certainly get a translation. It means, um, I, I love you, Armenia. Um, I will see you again because uh, my heart is yours now and forever. Awesome. So you've had a, quite a, an experience coming home from your mission. Right. You've been home how many days now? I got back on Friday. So that's been about five days? Five days, yeah. Still getting <laughs> off the jet lag. <laughs> yeah, and still getting used to not having a companion. Right. Mm -hmm. You've had a lot of responses on Facebook to your status update that uh, that you just read. Mm -hmm. How did it feel to to see some of those responses? Yeah, I have been absolutely overwhelmed with the amount of uh, charity and love and support that uh, people have poured out towards me. I have really appreciated it. Many people have have commented. Something, something in particular that has, has brought me the, the biggest amount of, I, I guess, gratitude and, and joy, and that's uh, just thanking me for serving an honorable mission um, because I, I know deep down that I, I certainly tried my best, and I, I did want to serve a full two years, but it was one of those things that was anticipated that I would serve for two years. It wasn't guaranteed, um, and so the Lord had other plans for me is something that I've, I've learned in this past 
week and a half or so as a lot of uh, momentous things have, have taken place. But I'm back here now, and uh, my family, my friends, um, and the different people online that I'm lucky to interact with have all been very charitable and very welcoming. So I'm, I'm awesome. grateful for that. So tell us about Armenia. Wow. Uh, where do I start? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, start with the food because everybody yeah. loves to start with the food. Right. Um, so the food is uh, influenced both by the Middle East and by Russia. Okay. Um, and uh, there, there's some Georgian influence there as well. Um, so if you've had Mediterranean food, that'll get you kind of close. <laughs> um, if you've had Russian food, that'll get you kind of close as well. It's, it's at the crossroads of, of the Middle East, Asia, Eastern Europe. And so, uh, there's a lot of really interesting ways in which the different cultures mix with each other there. My favorite food was, uh, probably, uh, Sharma's. Uh, it's something that, uh, at the end of the Avengers movie, uh, all the Avengers get together and eat at one of the cutscenes. But, um, yeah, that, if any of you are Marvel fans, but, uh, basically just like, I don't know. Think of it like a burrito or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty good. Um, it, of course, it's different than a burrito, but just to conceptualize it a bit, <laughs> kind of a wrap. Um, has uh, good meat. Uh, you can have pork, chicken, and they'll put French fries in there, pickles. Really? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, some hamburger good, some wrap. Good sauce. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, those were delicious. So that that was among my favorite food. On the end of my not so favorite food, which is why I didn't eat it. But I know other missionaries who did. It's this uh, a meal called a chash, where they take a uh, a severed cow's foot. Oh, and they will already a they fan. will they will shave it um, and shave get, it. Yeah, they'll they'll shave the fur off or the, oh. the hair, um, like with a razor. Yeah, with I literally watched Armenians <laughs> use uh, use razors um, as they as you know they're preparing um, the the hooves, and then they take the hooves and they boil them in water until it creates a kind of gelatin-like yeah. substance, and then you eat that. The gelatin? Yeah. Oh, I don't weird. recommend it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Okay. No, you know what? Let's not yeah, explore yeah. too deeply. No, no. That doesn't sound too great, <laughs> especially depending on what they were walking in, I would right. assume. No, they, they try to clean that all off, but it's still a hoof. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's in there. Right. Oh, man. Well, what about the church in Armenia? Uh, the church is uh, growing. Something I compare it to is probably a, a Kirtland-type experience because okay. churches only had a presence there since the fall of the Soviet Union or, you know, a little bit after that. Latter-day Saint philanthropist uh, John Huntsman had a lot of uh, work that he did there, especially after the, the earthquake which struck Armenia several decades ago. And so the, the church there is growing. We don't have a stake there, okay. uh, although we used to. But uh, for now, we have districts and branches, and there's quite a few active, strong members there. But there's certainly room to bring uh, people back to church or invite, you know, other sure. people who who aren't baptized to church. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely growing. But there's some very promising things happen happening with the church right now in Armenia. How big was your mission? There was about forty missionaries. Forty, I want to say. Okay, yeah, it was rather small. Yeah. Um. So my mission was the Armenia Georgia mission, and. Yeah, total, there was probably around 40, maybe a little bit more. What were some of the challenges that you found in sharing the gospel to that particular culture? So, uh, of course, every every culture will have its its unique reception to the gospel. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll go over uh, just the, the pros and the cons with it. To start off with the, with the pros, Armenia was the world's first Christian nation. They were the first ones to officially adopt Christianity in 301 A.D., 
So that's a very significant date for them. Okay. Um, they have been Christian ever since, and because of that, their their heritage and their identity is so deeply entwined with being Christian. So everywhere you go, there will be churches, there will be crosses. Uh, everyone, uh, for the most part, proclaims the name of Christ and identifies with him. And so... I imagine we, that comes in a lot of packages, though. <laughs> like, it's presented in different ways, right? Uh, somewhat. Um, the Armenian Apostolic Church is the uh, kind of the state religion, there, oh, okay. more or less. Um, but, you know, is the tr- the traditional Armenian church there for Christianity. So most Armenians, uh, the vast majority of them, would identify within that church. And it, it's rather ancient. goes back as, as far as when Christianity was more or less introduced into the area. So because of that, that's the main way that it's packaged. But of course, the way that Christianity is lived and expressed in the lives of different Armenians will vary. Okay. Um, of course, you will have more devout Christians. You will have people that you know better represent and live uh, the gospel of Christ. Um, and then and then others who identify with their Christianity in more of a cultural sense because there's so much history and tradition to it. Sure. But regardless of whether people, you know, more loosely or strictly identify uh, with Christianity, because everyone is Christian for the most part, when you desire to speak to them about Christ, um, there's many people who will openly receive you and talk to you about their faith. Awesome. They'll, they'll w- warmly welcome you into their homes and you'll be able to Share, share messages about how they can grow their faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's something that's a, a very big positive with the yeah. country. Now, of course, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to tr- tradition. So yes, everyone, for the most part, identifies as Christian, but because the Christian identity is so inherently tied into the Armenian identity, um, especially with the Armenian Apostolic Church, for an individual to consider converting to another faith, whether Christian or not, that's a very big choice. That's a very big step. And Does it almost feel like if they are if they change faiths that they're changing country, they're changing citizenship? Right, that's a, that's a fear with a lot of them is uh, that to be Armenian is to belong to the Armenian Apostolic Church, is to identify in the traditional Christianity that's been practiced there. And so many individuals, even though maybe they'd be interested in, in learning about uh, our, our faith, they feel tension on uh, yeah. family grounds, on their own personal identities. They, they, they might feel as if they're betraying their heritage and their people. And so um, that can be something that makes people hesitant to talk to the missionaries or to that. seriously consider joining the church. Yeah. Yeah. So life as a missionary is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. What parts of it did you find easy to get into? Mm-hmm. And what were some of the ones that maybe were a little more challenging? Well, I, I really appreciated the the study that we do as, as oh, okay. missionaries. Um, you know, I, I was prone to study myself, but before the mission, and uh, being a religious studies major before I left, I, I loved reading scriptures of many faiths, yeah. I, especially our own. Um, and so to be able to step into an environment as a missionary where I study daily from the scriptures and I'm able to to speak with not only just my companion about what I studied, but also share the the scriptures with those that I'm teaching. That was something that I very much enjoyed. I enjoyed being able to dive into the standard works. I was able to complete them while I was on my mission and read the Book of Mormon several times. And And those were among the, the most fruitful and spiritually meaningful uh, studies of the scriptures that I think I've ever done because awesome. it's such a unique environment and experience. And it's just very different than, than being back home. Something that took a little while to get used to uh, was uh, 
shaving every day. Um, and, and my joke yeah. was that was the one thing that uh, the mission would not break me on uh, when it comes to coming back home. But since I've been home, I have shaved every morning. And, you know, I unfortunately, they got me. So Well, for for your job, depending on what you go into, that'll right. be part of it too. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll just have to get used to it. But yeah, so that, that was funny is because uh, on the last day that I was in Armenia, I just thought like finally when I shaved that morning, it felt completely natural and I had no problem whatsoever doing it. <laughs> I was like, oh, darn it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we would probably be a little, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't uh, discuss your coming home. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's a lot that goes into a mission story that we could cover, but yours in particular seems to have uh, this twist or this idea of what people refer to as an early return missionary. Right. Which, um, frankly, I'm not a big fan of that title. Right. Um, but I, I get why people use it. Um, even in your own reading, in your own post, you you talked about coming home prematurely. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, you were very much feeling that you had served right. your time. Right, So that's a difficult situation to navigate. So mm-hmm. why don't you tell us what you feel comfortable telling us right. about your coming home? Yeah, uh, more or less... Missions are uh, stressful. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and th- that's a given, and I'm not knocking a, a mission at all, um, and I knew it would be going into it. Um, it has unique stresses. Um, it demands a lot from you, um, and it's not that I wasn't able to to hack that, I would say. I, I was very happy on my mission. Um, there is just some things that, that happened as far as uh, emotional health is concerned uh, that Right now, I'm I'm not exactly sure uh, why it was taking place. Uh, maybe the mission environment was one reason, but I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. And so I'm not going to right now say that it was uh, for sure being on a mission that caused me to experience uh, certain things. So just in in general, I, I, the last couple months I, I was feeling more kind of higher rates of of anxiety or depression. Um, although that's not something that I constantly struggled with. Um, but there was just some other emotional health concerns that were coming up that made me feel like it would be better for me to return home. And so, um, even, even as early as, uh, or uh, yeah, as early as um, maybe a week and a half ago, I had the full intention of being on my mission for you know the full two the years. Full two years, yeah. But things changed rather quickly, and you know, with some things that uh, I I won't be getting into, um, I I just felt like it was in my best interest to return home and be able to be in a place where. I can receive the kind of uh, support and assistance that I felt like I needed. Part of that is that the closest church-sponsored therapist uh, was in Ukraine. Um, <laughs> wow. Several countries away. Yeah. And so um, the, the church just doesn't have the same resources over there naturally that it does here. And so by returning home, you know, I'm making sure that uh, I'm in the place where I need to be, that I'm receiving the, the assistance that I need to be receiving. So taking all those things into consideration, one thing that is sure is that as a missionary, I was doing all the things that I needed to be doing, right? It wasn't uh, something behavioral that was, you know, causing some of my my difficulties or my my struggles. Sure. Um, and, and because of that, I am confident with my service. I, I don't regret it. I don't feel like I personally failed. It was just kind of a curveball that was thrown my way, and, and I'm just responding to it in a in the way I feel like I, I need to. Needless to say, it wasn't just me feeling this way that got me comfortable with the idea of, of coming back home. It was, like I described in my post, 
uh, it was a, a soul-searching process. Um, it was very serious because I, I did feel a little disappointed or um, naturally asked the question, why am I going through this? I thought I would be there the full two years. Yeah. Um, and so in the past week and a half or so, um, I, I did have one moment of uh, that brought me uh, quite a bit of, of comfort. It was in the drive from where I was located in my final area, a place called Oliverdi. Uh, which is in the northern mo- mountains of Armenia, uh, close to the Georgian border. The closest missionaries to us up there were another hour, hour and a half away. And so uh, it's rather secluded, and it takes about a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive to get to the capital of Yerevan uh, down south. And so that's where we were driving so that I could go to the mission home. Um, and as I was really doing some soul-searching and and praying and and considering why all this was happening. Naturally, I was asking, right, why me? But I, I had a moment where uh, Im- impressed in my mind was a, a line for my patriarchal blessing, which more or less says that, you know, I'll, I'll understand the things that I am experiencing or uh, I, w- I will come to know why why those things are taking place. It's kind of a paraphrase of it, but um, it, it was kind of that idea that there's been other times in my life where I've gone through difficult things. It's not until further down the road where um, I'm able to see why the Lord had me um, experience those things that I experienced. And so this is another example um, where I hope and I trust that um, even though it wasn't necessarily what I was expecting, that it's something that I can turn into a positive, that I can consecrate, that I can allow to refine me and to lead me down the path that the Lord wants me to to go down. So that that's something that's brought me a lot of peace and, and comfort in the past two weeks. It's something that... You, you you used a word the the why me right mm-hmm. you you say why is this happening to me and it's interesting when you think about the challenges that you have in life mm-hmm. and you think well it's different if it happens to someone else right but when it's happening to you it feels so much more powerful i would right. assume and so when this sort of thing happens and you said in your post that it kind of came on fairly quickly. It was unexpected. Very quickly, yeah. Do you have the feeling as well that perhaps this could go away quickly too? That's what I'm looking right now. Yeah. Um, the the hope is that being back home, um, that'll be the kind of independent variable, the change in environment. And so if that's the case, then uh, my problems should go away. If not, maybe it is something physiological or chemical and I can seek further professional help with that. But uh, yeah, depression, anxiety, um, those are things that uh, somewhat run in my family, at least on my mother's side. Neither of them are things that I've really ever experienced a, in a serious way, and so um, I'll just continue to pay close attention to them, check up on them, and make sure I'm receiving the the help that I need. Are you in a situation that you said it was a what kind of release? What was it called? Uh, an emotional health release. Emotional health release. So is that a temporary thing or you're home? Um, that's contingent on, on my choice. Um, I am released. Um, okay. so I, I was released as a missionary by my stake president, but it is, uh, the possibility is open that if I feel inclined or impressed down the road that I should do a service mission or seek reassignment, um, to a proselyting mission that I can do that. Um, the issue is that I wouldn't be able to return to Armenia. Okay. Um, just given the, the, the nature of it and the, the lack of resources out there. So probably if I was reassigned, I would be reassigned somewhere stateside for a proselyting mission, or I could engage in a service mission uh, in my local area. 
As far as moving forward, you certainly have, you, you still have what people might call expectations, mm-hmm. right? So you came home. Mm-hmm. That was not an expectation you, right. you, you thought would happen. Do you have expectations moving forward? Well, um, certainly I, I plan on continuing my education at Arizona State University. Be picking that up this fall. Um, right now I'm in the process of figuring out uh, what to do for the summer because, you know, like you said, <laughs> plans change pretty quickly. So right. I'd probably be in my best interest to seek employment or education or, uh, you know, uh, make sure I'm being productive with my time. Yeah. Um, so I have various venues that I'm I'm considering uh, and I will make decisions on the, in the coming weeks. But for, for now, definitely we'll do school in the fall. As for the summer, that's kind of a question mark for now. Yeah. Well, you had, you were part of this group that left pre, I can Skype home on yeah. my mission. And then you had some time period with that. Tell us, what, how did that impact you in the field? Did you take advantage of it? Mm-hmm. How did it impact the situation you find yourself yeah. in? Yeah. So, yes, I, I did leave um, during the time where we could email our families once a week and then call home uh, on Mother's Day and, and Christmas, uh, just like usual. Yeah. Um, and then things got shaken up quite a bit, yeah. um, where we were now allowed to call home on P-Days, uh, whether through Skype, uh, video chat, or just a telephone. Um, you know, The option is open to missionaries now to choose how much time they communicate with their families on P-Days. Mi- uh, different missions will vary in, in kind of what that looks like, of course, but for us, our P-Days were open to use as, as we thought uh, and discerned was responsible and productive. And so, yes, I, w- I was able to call home, which was, uh, you know, there, there there's definitely some, some missionaries out there that the additional contact with home might induce further homesickness, right? Okay. It might make them more, even more inclined to desire to be back, to, they might lose focus uh, on their work or uh, really miss their families. For me, um, I talked to my family quite a bit on P-Days, and I never felt like it was an issue with me where it made me more homesick. Uh, in fact, it had the opposite effect where I felt more energized and more encouraged to go out and do the work. I, I, I would just feel great, um, and I felt like I could, uh, well, stay there the whole two years. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay. you know, definitely like those those were legitimate feelings. Yeah, it it was I I welcomed the change. I really appreciated it. I felt like I was able to grow a lot closer with my family because that's something that, you know, maybe can take a hit while you're on your mission. I can is, see that. Is you know you might grow. There's distance naturally in communication, and well, if you're like me and you were seven thousand miles away, there's <laughs> yeah. you're on the other side of the world, so there's distance there too. Um, but this just helps to include your family more in what you're experiencing. You're able to testify more. You're able to really have them be a part of your mission in a very significant way. And so I think for the majority of missionaries out there that the change was was very positive and should really improve uh, their overall experience while they serve. Yeah. It's, it's not uncommon for missionaries, the stress that they feel, mm-hmm. to be related to being away from home, mm-hmm. you know, not, not in their comfort zone. Right. Some of the other stresses might be more a sense of, maybe even over-responsibility for the salvation of others. Mm-hmm. How did you see that in your mission? Did you kind of feel that way, or did you see people feeling that way? Um, I definitely saw other missionaries feeling that way, uh, where they felt like it was on them to maybe convert someone, or it was on them to talk to every single person that they could. 
which of course, you know, we're encouraged to do, um, to, to share the gospel as often as possible. But of, uh, of course, you should be forgiving with yourself. You should have realistic <laughs> expectations sure. because um, at least in some of the areas I was in, uh, it had a very urban New York feel to it, um, at least in the capital at times. And so, of course, I could not talk to every single person that I saw, <laughs> right. even if I wanted to. Unless you were the guy with the bullhorn just right. yeah. <laughs> screaming at everybody. Um, yeah, so I definitely saw that at times with other missionaries. And um, another thing that sometimes other missionaries forget is that people still have their free agency. Uh, that's something that is taught in Preach My Gospel, that you shouldn't put it on yourself if others in their free agency choose that right now isn't the time for them to accept the gospel or to uh, continue taking lessons or things like that. Um, and so that's something that missionaries should be able to respect, that they need to understand. And, and really, for some of the missionaries I was with, um, it taught them powerful lessons about how Maybe our Heavenly Father feels about when we might wander, when we might not respond as, as quickly to blessings or opportunities that he's extending to us. It uh, it allows us to have a little bit of that perspective because he's the ultimate honor of our agency. Yeah. Um, even even when, you know, it, it might hurt him. You're now home. You're in the category mm-hmm. of return missionary. Yep which means you can give unsolicited advice to missionaries on how they could be a better missionary. <laughs> so what would you tell the missionary that's in the field or that's preparing to go? I, would, I, I think I would say that really understand why you're going because we belong to a church and a faith community where it is normal to serve a mission, uh, where many people do choose to serve, uh, whether you're male or female. In many ways, that's that's the culture, that's the tradition, that's... That's what it's a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage, of course. But beyond that, ask yourself, you know, why are you choosing to serve? And to you, what what will a successful mission look like? When I was asked before my mission, and even on my mission, why I was choosing to serve or what I was doing there, um, my answer would be that I'm here to minister to people physically and spiritually to the extent that they're open and, and willing to allow me to. Um, and for me, Though every week we measured things such as uh, how many lessons we taught, how many people, uh, investigators were at church, or if we had any baptisms scheduled or things like that. Though though you do keep track of numbers like that, don't pay attention to the numbers. It, you know, of course it's a cliche. Don't pay, don't. It's not about the numbers, but um, there is a lot of truth that if you put your happiness, you put your satisfaction and your fulfillment on, I guess, the the results of your work uh, alone, um, I don't know if that's something that will produce happiness throughout your mission because there will be times that you'll be disappointed. There'll be times where it'll be tough, where it will be easy to be discouraged because you don't feel like things are going your way. And uh, one one quote that uh, uh, gave me comfort or, or changed my kind of paradigm on this uh, is actually from um, a text of a, another faith, but it was something that the Latter-day Saint humanitarian Lowell Benyon really um, was moved by personally, and so he tried to live his life by it. It's from the Bhagavad Gita, um, which is a Hindu text, and it says, To action alone hast thou a right, not to its fruits. For me and for other missionaries, the Lord expects of us to consecrate our efforts, to give what we can to our service and to the, the people that we are uh, interacting with and, and choosing to serve. But of course, 
We can't control what fruit comes out of that. So if you can base your satisfaction, your happiness on the effort that you put in rather than the fruit that comes out, I, I guarantee that you'll be able to feel confident with yourself, that you will be less discouraged than you otherwise might be, and uh, you will feel a greater satisfaction with your work. Awesome. Is there anything left that we need to know about your mission experience that we haven't covered yet? What can you tell us that you just are itching to tell us? Oh, well, if it's okay, could I maybe... Um, yes. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I, I do want to share a, a very meaningful uh, experience that I had. And this is something which I still hold very dear. Right? I had a handful of very powerful experiences while I was out. But one of them was especially simple. And it was uh, when we were teaching a young man. I won't give his name, but he was in his 20s. And he was wanting to know and experience God in his life. He identified it as agnostic and or non-religious. And, and he was non-religious and agnostic because he said that he'd never had an experience with God or religion that compelled him to be religious or choose a spiritual path. Uh, there's just nothing he could point to. There's no basis that he felt like he could authentically be part of a faith community. But he was open to it, and he was searching. As we were meeting with him, the first lesson we taught him was on prayer and on how uh, we can communicate with our Heavenly Father, how we can seek answers to our questions, and we can receive inspiration and, and comfort and guidance from from God, how God is our loving Heavenly Father. And just like my parents back home loved to talk to me as much as they could, um, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is no different, um, that He wants to, to talk with us as well. He wants to be a part of our lives. So we taught him how to pray and the significance and importance of prayer. And before we could even extend the invitation, he asked us if, if we could kneel down and if he could pray with us. Wow. And so, yeah, uh, it's missionary's <laughs> dream, right? right. No, this, this guy, he, he uh, what we call a golden investigator, right? <laughs> um, he just really wanted to uh, do everything he could. And so he would just offer up to read the Book of Mormon to take challenges wow. before we extend him. So it was great. We didn't even have to do a lot of work. <laughs> just were there. It was just really self-taught. You know, the, the spirit was with him. So we knelt down and we prayed, and it, it was uh, he that prayed. And so because we had shown him how to do it, uh, he offered an incredibly humble, an incredibly simple, and uh, but very powerful prayer. The first time he had ever prayed in his life. He wow. ever the first time he'd ever made the attempt to talk with God. And if you remember from the Book of Mormon with, uh, I think it's King Lamoni's father, he too says a prayer where it's along the lines of like, uh, oh God, you know, if thou art God, you know, if, if you exist, basically, yeah. like, I'm here, right? That's what the young man we were meeting with uh, did as well, uh, where he expressed the things he was thankful for, but also the the deep and sincere desire he had to to know if God was there and if he was loved and what his relationship with God was. And so uh, as he prayed, I was just absolutely overcome by the Spirit. It was incredibly powerful because... It was just such a, a pure and raw, but just very simple act of faith. The the first of, of what would become many steps of, of faith for this young man. And he ended the prayer. And we looked up to each other and my companion, all of us more or less had tears in our eyes, but my companion asked him what he was feeling, if he was feeling anything. And he told us that um, he was feeling light and, and warmth and such such peace in his heart. He really felt like God was speaking with him. Um, and th 
we were able to testify to him in that moment that that was God, that that was his heavenly father, um, letting him know that, that he's there, that he's real and that he wants to continue to have a relationship with him. And that uh, if he continues down the path of exercising faith and uh, seeking truth through prayer, um, that he can, that he can find that. That was something that was very powerful. Um, and I, I still look back on with uh, with fondness because it was it was just such a, a powerful example of of faith in just a very pure form, and so I hope to be able to mimic that when it's hard in the future. <laughs> yeah, right? ha- have as much faith as as this young man did. How did his story progress? Well, um, because of work, it became a little bit difficult to meet with him. But uh, what we're doing is continuing to stay in touch over social media continuing to send them texts where we recommend Book of Mormon verses or things like that. But just by self-reporting, he's he's happily reported that he prays morning and night, that he will read from the Book of Mormon, and that he's really trying to uh, seek things out as best as he can personally, right, because of the time constraints that he's facing right now. But he does have a great desire to continue meeting with the missionaries when, when he's available. He really is doing a lot of terrific study on his own in the meantime. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Of course. I appreciate it. Uh, So it's moments like that that make a mission worth it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And how long ago was that? That was probably a couple months ago. Okay. Maybe uh, two months ago or so. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. And and I don't know if you feel that coming on and talking about your story is an act of courage, but uh, I think many might see it that way. So thank you um, for for being able to come on and, and talk with us about it and of course, wish you the best and mm-hmm. whatever uh, path is mm-hmm. laid out before you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Nick. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I want to thank my guest, Jackson Washburn, for coming on and sharing his story. And as I said before, I think being courageous to talk about the challenges that he faced and the choices, the difficult choices he had to make in deciding to come home. This week on our new segment on the show, The Mission Focus, we want to focus on his mission, specifically though the church in Armenia. According to the church's newsroom site, there are 3,560 total members of the church, which makes up for about 0.12% or 1 in 824 people are church members. There are 11 congregations, all of which are branches. But there are four family history centers, one mission, and two districts. The history is told on the church's site about the church in Armenia is that the gospel has been preached among the Armenians living outside of their homeland since the 1800s. In Turkey, Mr. Vartugian and three members of his family were baptized in January 1885, the first Armenians to join the church. Continued violence and persecution caused American Latter-day Saints to be driven from their homes and spread across the Near East. A branch or small congregation of 59 Armenian members was functioning in Aleppo, Syria in 1946, but between 1947 and 1950, those members were forced to leave Syria. In December 1950, the Near East mission was closed. On December 7, 1988, portions of Armenia were devastated by an earthquake. Approximately 50,000 people died and half a million became homeless. One week later, Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve met with Soviet Ambassador Yuri Debenin and his wife Liana in Washington, D.C. to convey condolences and to present a check for humanitarian aid. 
In response to the earthquake, Utah industrialist and church leader John M. Huntsman, working with American philanthropist Armand Hammer, established a concrete plan in Yervan in late 1991. It produced reinforced concrete plank used to build homes and apartment buildings. The plant was staffed with Latter-day Saint humanitarian service couples who had expertise in seismic engineering and plant operations. Humanitarian effort was headed by David M. Horn, who operated the plant and was also involved in managing shipments of food and supplies. In light of these efforts, the church was registered in Armenia in December 1995. Mikhail Oskar Veloslav was baptized in March 1992, the first man to join the church in Armenia. In April 1992, Nara Sarkisian was baptized as the first woman to join the church in Armenia. The Yerevan branch was organized in January 1994. The Book of Mormon had been translated in 1937 into Western Armenian, which is spoken by Armenians living outside of Armenia. In March 1991, the translation of the Book of Mormon into Eastern Armenian was published. In 2003, there were 1,537 members. As we mentioned before, today there are now 3,560 approximate members of the church in Armenia. The church is growing so much throughout the world. We honor and respect the many cultures of the world and we are grateful that there are many that will allow us to go in and share the gospel message. We also honor and respect those missionaries who are going into these areas of the world that are largely new when it comes to gospel experience, gospel understanding, and for hearing the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an exciting time to be a member of the church and it's an exciting time to be a missionary. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope it uplifted and inspired you in some way. If it did, please share it with someone on social media or go to our website at ldsmissioncast.com and share this episode with someone you think might be benefited by it. We also want to thank those of you that have sent in reviews on iTunes. I wanted to call out to Lemon Swagger on iTunes who left us a five-star review. said, keep coming back. I started listening while my son was on his mission. Interesting variety of interviews and topics, great insights, and inspiring stories. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lemon Swagger, whoever you are. And we really appreciate your review, and we want to encourage others to go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a review, as it helps other people find us. So thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time on the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Mm-hmm.